Welcome everyone to the BMJ Breakfast Roundtable at the Nuffield Health Policy Summit. Uh, this is the seventh Nuffield Summit uh, and I think the fourth that the BMJ has run a roundtable. And I'd very um, much like to welcome our speakers. First, I think if we could ask them all to introduce yourselves and perhaps just give us one change you'd like to see going forward for the NHS. Morning, um, my name is Richard Jones. I'm a cardiologist uh, in Portsmouth. Um, I'm clinical director of the Wessex Strategic Cardiovascular Network. Um, I think one, am I allowed two? <laughs> one would be uh, involving everybody in a quality improvement programme, a quality improvement project within their workplace, and giving them the support and methods to do that. And the second would be a relentless focus on the reduction and removal of waste which is still a very big issue. Thank you. Um, I'm Susie Bailey. I'm the Development Director at Monitor, and I'm also a Health Foundation Fellow. Um, I'd like two as well. I'll be quick. Um, one is lifelong learning about uh, quality improvement. We need to be able to teach everybody who works in the health service um, the basics of quality improvement. And I'd also like to see patients directly involved in improving care in a more systematic way. Thank you. I'm Jonathan Michael. I was a physician some long time ago. I'm currently Chief Executive of Oxford University Hospitals. I think the one thing that I would like to see for the NHS after the election is actually more money, because many of the things we need to do uh, that we've been talking about in the last you know, 24 hours are going to need investment. Um, and the balance between relentless pursuit of quality, the continued increase in demand and money is you know, in, inescapable. How much more money would you like to do? I, I don't think I'm in a position to you know, put a figure on it. I mean, one can yeah, look at the five-year forward view, but I think it's, I think it's significant. Okay, you know, transitional you. funding you know, is going to be needed you know, for, for the sort of changes we've been talking about. Uh, I'm Steve Field, I'm a GP, uh, Chief Inspector of General Practice for the Care Quality Commission. I lead the work on primary medical services and the integration of health and social care for CQC. Um, and uh, my wish would be around data. I'm hugely impressed with Andrew uh, Morris yesterday talking to us about um, the use of data in Scotland. And uh, being a GP, I recognise that the quality of data we collect and use is poor in general medical practice and so if we could improve what we collect and then use it across the whole of uh, England I think we could have a much better uh, health and social care system. <coughs> I'm uh, Nigel Edwards, I'm the Chief Executive of the uh, Nuffield Trust. Um, I certainly agree about waste um, and uh, quality improvement, but I think the money is, an, is, a, is a big issue. Even with the, the money that's signalled in the five-year forward view, the amount of money per person in age-adjusted terms is flat. Um, and I mean, that's not very realistic, I think, given the rising expectations and, and a, a variety of, of new... Uh, uh, drugs and therapies that will be coming on the market um, and as Jonathan said there's a real need to invest to transform a number of the services that we've got and stripping out that waste will require people getting having headroom so you know I think we're sort of saying we look historically we the NHS has been growing two to four percent above uh, real um, and flat real 
uh, per person looks very challenging. So I think you know it's it, it's in that order, and you know, uh, trying to do all of that through twenty two billion pounds of efficiency, which is, is extremely challenging, at least in the first two or three years of that. So I think there is an unanswered question about funding that uh, we uh, uh, that will enable all of these other great ideas that we've heard uh, just now. Jeremy. Jeremy Taylor, Chief Executive, National Voices. Um, and we, our, our day job is to promote what we, um, as a shorthand, call person-centred care. Um, uh, I think my wish for the NHS and the health and social care, health and care systems more broadly, because we shouldn't just talk about the NHS, is um, to see um, real commitment to realising the vision that's very well set out in Chapter 2, of the five-year forward view, which talks about a new relationship with patients and communities. Um, and while there's been uh, a lot of um, policy talk about a new relationship between patients and communities over the years, um, it hasn't been the main priority for health reform. And yet there's increasing evidence that um, if we took a partnership approach more seriously, um, um, it would pay real dividends. Um, both in terms of quality and um, the efficient allocation of resources. So let's make that the real ambition. Thank you. Um, my name is Masoud Fuladi. I'm a medical director and co-founder of Circle Partnership, which is a partnership of doctors, nurses and managers. Um, my wish is uh, we stop eating ourselves as a healthcare system. I just talking to our Danish colleague there. We are seen from outside world as one of the great health service we have we deliver very good service for the money we spend as a nation and as uh, circle has got a lot of experience now we approached by chinese and egyptian who telling us how they want some of the way we deliver primary care the way we deliver our hospitals we need to have leaders who are confident and they want to lead the vision that we have and a vision is 30 percent of the journey 70% is implementation and sociology. And the, my wish is how we make those leaders, doctors, nurses, managers in health service, feel good about themselves and not feel that we are in a worse place in the world. That to me, without that, you will not get implementation. Thank you. Uh, so, Rebecca Rosen, I'm a GP in South East London, also a senior fellow at Nuffield and a clinical commissioner. And I guess what I would like to see is um, in my clinical practice, being able as a GP to concentrate much more than I do now on delivering continuity of care and supporting the coordination of care for people with complex problems. And I think that to do that, there's, a, there's several things that need to happen, but perhaps a couple of the most important are that the staff that work within my practice, and we've got, I'm in a large practice, suddenly and magically develop a much broader set of skills so that we can use the members of the practice team better and steer people with different kinds of needs to different kinds of member of the practice team. And also, um, another magic wand needed, um, that the patients that are registered with the practice and come to the practice are much more self-confident to look after their own health, to manage their long-term conditions, to stay well, to know where to look for minor illness, so that the overwhelming demand that's coming into general practice, for which a lot of people 
I think, could cope through their community. So it's a vision that's in the five-year forward view. If we could accelerate that, I think that would help general practice to deliver a much better service. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Jennifer Dixon. I'm the Chief Executive of the Health Foundation and a board member of the Care Quality Commission. Um, so uh, to sneak in a few asks, uh, of course, money. Uh, the second, of course, no major structural change. Um, third, um, an intelligent cocktail of national policies that are coherent and work together synergistically. Fourth, a re <laughs> <laughs> manifesto. Uh, a fourth, a complete reorientation of, 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 of how we have viewed the system towards the front line, supporting the front line in the way that others have said. Uh, really, this is about, uh, I think, to achieve five-year forward view and progress in the National Health Service, we've really got to completely come down and reorientate ourselves towards that layer and whatever it takes to reduce waste, improve quality <coughs> in a forensic detail that's needed. It doesn't grab the headlines. And that's where I think the physicians particularly, but also other clinicians, should be in the driving seat. And we need more leadership. Step forward. Thank you very much. This roundtable is dubbed What Hopes for the NHS, the Election and Beyond, and we heard yesterday quite a lot from, well, certainly Simon Stevens and Jeremy Hunt uh, about in the build-up to the election. Uh, and one of the issues raised was, will the election change anything? And the fact that the five-year forward view represents, to some extent, the NHS driving its own agenda for the first time in a long time. Uh, so I suppose I'd just like to get a sense from the panel whether you could ever truly remove politics from the NHS and would we want to? And to what extent does the five-year forward view represent a real shift in terms of the NHS's confidence about its own future? Nigel, start us off on that one. So we concluded yesterday, I think, that actually maybe the election matters less uh, than they have done in the past and that uh, which, whichever government, uh, however the government forms, and uh, the betting is... Uh, you know, it makes it almost impossible to guess what that is. We'll face a very, a very similar um, set of choices, um, and there's not very much uh, wriggle room uh, for a new Secretary of State. And the fact that the five year forward view has been as, as, as sort of pinned down the politics of this means that actually the NHS has got, probably for the first time, uh, the lead in uh, driving, driving reform. It's not going to be. A, I mean, I think even if Andy Burnham becomes uh, Secretary of State, he, he will perhaps find it difficult uh, to, uh, uh, to create the, you know, any major change uh, very, very, very quickly. I am slightly worried that he's, he's a bit naive about the extent to which he won't trigger a major reorganisation. I suspect he may well find when he gets in that the civil servants and the, the service uh, moderate that vision very significantly, always assuming he is, he is Secretary of State. So, in the, but I think, you know, to answer your broader question is, um, uh, if you're spending over £100 billion, it's almost impossible uh, to leave the politicians out because you know, they raise the money, they vote the money, they make the argument to the public to spend it. Uh, and, you know, be, sort of be careful what you wish for. And even if you look at systems like the Netherlands, where in theory the, the politicians are not involved in the detail of politics, actually they are. I have to say I came away from yesterday rather depressed. Um, on the one hand, excited by all the things that people were talking about, about what could be done, what we should be doing, all the innovative ideas we heard about. But I didn't get any... Uh, 
reassurance that the politicians actually understood the reality of the world within which we are currently working and the the, the prospect of continued uh, financial uh, constraints on on the vision. Um, uh, our colleagues from, uh, from the States were demonstrating uh, again what can be done, but all the graphs were showing you know, steadily rising costs and demand. 80% uh, of NHS trusts are at the moment predicting, uh, projecting a deficit this year. Um, uh, the, the, the latest discussions around the, the tariff and funding arrangements for next year are going to require organisations to make year-on-year -year savings of somewhere between 4 to 8 9%. It's fundamentally undoable going forward without some radical discussion around how the health service is funded going forward. And I didn't hear any of that, any willingness politically to discuss the wider funding arrangements uh, for the NHS. I recognise the economic environment within which the country you know, is you know, at the moment, um, but we're going to have to address that as a country. Jennifer. I think um, politics will always be there, but I think the state of the challenges on us at the moment mean that the former way of going on by politicians, which is I'm going to have a big shot administration defining policy with my name attached to it, which reorganises, is not really the, I think the, there's a resounding response and the dangers have been flagged up from the health, past social, health and social care bill. I mean, the future really for us at the moment is there's a, there's a whole load of technical changes or tech changes at the front line that need to happen, which politicians are too far from, quite frankly, to, I think, to really get it. But where they can make a big contribution is they can help keep um, us in the service honest by creating a great link with the public, the people that they serve, and to hold us to that, as well as the you know, public involvement that we may have and continue within the service. So they can keep us to public account for that, but I'm just hoping that they just don't... Um, and they have accepted the message that I think probably Andrew Lansley, Lansley taught them, that if you have another big administration-defining attempt, that is what happens. Um, and we've seen the result, both for Andrew Lansley and for the system. Jeremy. Well, I think health is inescapably political, and it's naive to uh, hope that politics can be taken out of it. That The way politics has been brought into health hasn't always been helpful in the past. And I think the five-year forward view is a useful vehicle for uh, creating a degree of uh, cross-party consensus um, uh, or to articulate where that consensus actually exists uh, and to try and help politicians distance themselves from the micromanagement and mechanics of healthcare reform that their intervention in isn't always helpful. Um, but it's inescapably political because health is about uh, choices and um, um, there are some very important choices around the NHS, uh, particularly in relation to funding, but also in terms of priorities for things like uh, social care funding, um, for the, uh, the extent to which politicians want to tackle um, health inequalities, uh, and to consider um, the wider government role in promoting um, health and well-being, which as we know isn't um, uh, about the NHS is much more about the wider social and economic determinants of health. 
So all of that makes it incredibly political. Um, the slightly dispiriting thing is that the politicians don't really, by and large, seem to want to talk about a lot of this stuff. Uh, the Labour Party has set out a 10-year vision, uh, which I actually think, in a sort of naive way, I think that's what politicians ought to do. They ought to set out their stall over a longer period so we can choose between them. And, and I find it a bit dispiriting that so far the other parties haven't done likewise. And I actually think they ought to. I think we ought to know what a Conservative Party vision for health and well-being over a 10-year period might look like. Uh, ditto the other parties. Um, because I think we as voters have a right to know what they think and to understand what the differences are. So, so um, cross-party consensus on those things where there is a genuine consensus or emerging consensus is a good thing, but actually um, <clears throat> understanding where there are choices and differences of approach and clear blue water for the electorate I think is also a good thing. And at the moment um, uh, we seem to lack that and I don't think that's very good constitutionally. Thank you, Jeremy. I mean, I think the, the, the tone of the political discourse is really important. Um, it was great to hear Jeremy Hunt yesterday say that the only sackable offence is not owning up to when you've made a mistake. And I think that we need to really get our, our um, thinking much more sophisticated about into this area, is how, how doctors, practitioners at the front line, and nurses, and anybody who has a, an interaction with a patient how the culture of fear and blame affects their practice. And if it affects their practice in a defensive way, that will generate costs. And it won't necessarily serve patients. In fact, quite the opposite, because as we all know, as soon as we start investigating patients, we create um, harm from some of the investigations we do. So it's really important that, that we um, help frontline clinicians feel confident that their clinical training and clinical decision-making will be supported if things go wrong, rather than that you'll be hung out to dry type of feeling. But I'm not saying it's real, but I think a lot of people working in uh, primary care setting or emergency departments where that sort of relentless decision-making needs to happen to the sort of drumbeat, um, they, they really got to have, have that feeling of confidence that the system, which will always be under pressure, is there to support them if they make a mistake. Thank you. Rebecca? Yes, I, I think I'd like to see the, the whole nature of the political debate change in that if you think back to the, sort of the forming concordat of the NHS between politics, profession and public, um, it feels at the moment as if there is a kind of bias towards politi politicians and the public bashing the profession. Certainly in general practice, it feels extremely hot, and I think it's, that, it's partly that that's driving so much early retirement in, in general practice on top of all the pressure. So I don't think it's helpful, and I think that if, if, there, if there is not going to be the money available to invest to the kinds of levels that people would like to see, as they've expressed here, then I think we need honest debate about what one can expect, about social responsibility around what are the new responsibilities in the new economic environment we find ourselves of patients, of the profession, of managers, of politicians. And um, I was just thinking, I went to visit one of the much lauded integrated health systems in Valencia. And I went onto a massive, beautiful ward with about four nurses. And I said, where are all the nurses? And they said, no, this is it. I, I could have been six, so I could have got the number wrong. 
But there were loads of family members in there. And they said the family members care for people, they bring in their food, and if they get worried, they ring us. And we know that if a family member calls us, we run up the ward and deal with it. So that's, it's a totally different social fabric that they're operating in. And I, I feel like I don't know where we would get to in this country if we started to have that discussion about how could you redefine social responsibilities around health. But I think there's some territory that we need to step into because what I think is increasingly intolerable is the fact that everything, everything has to be provided by the NHS. Nothing's off the agenda. No target can be released or you know, relinquished. And yet everybody wants us to transform up the game, work in new ways. And so the, the opportunity of transformation is very exciting. But I think we need to be realistic about how really wide-ranging thought about how we can achieve that. Thank you. I'm going to ask um, Susie and um, Steve as two of our inspectors or regulative people to just um, respond to those particular issues around the pressures and um, what, what the, I suppose what the politics and the, what the politicians and the regulators can do uh, in that. So I, one of the th thoughts that I had as, as colleagues were just speaking then is that we still, I have had more hope yesterday possibly than my, the colleague next to me um, because I still think we have incredible um, passion um, and um, intrinsic motivation in our, in our workforce in the NHS so to, to do more. However, there are some very difficult decisions that need to be taken in some of our local health economies. Some of the services are not sustainable. We have real workforce pressures and I just don't think the model that we currently have is sustainable and therefore we do need the politicians to help engage with the public and help make difficult decisions about the configuration of services and we can't get away from that. Um, uh, my experience of coming out of a, of a, of a local health economy in the, in the north of England and now seeing um, the national picture is that there are some very challenged environments out there and we've got clinicians and managers trying to sustain services um, in, in difficult situations and we need to find ways of helping them um, and that needs a, 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 the join-up that Jennifer was talking about at a policy level um, and the engagement of the politicians on, on some of those very difficult decisions. And what about the honest conversation that Rebecca has just asked for really between <coughs> the politicians and the public, if you like, about what, what is possible? I think that's long overdue. I've been, worked in the health service for 22 years now and I, I think that's something I've always felt we need to have much more of and much more open dialogue about those, those decisions. Thank you. Steve? Yeah, to, to continue that theme, I, I don't think the public really understand what uh, they should expect, particularly in general medical practice, uh, and the quality of service. And I think the work we're doing now, uh, looking at GPs and dentists, is highlighting that there are um, generally excellent GP surgeries across the country, but there are a small number which... Um, have been there for many years providing appalling care and um, I think what we need to do is shine a spotlight on that, um, publish more information about um, how the services are delivering care um, but also encourage two things, um, improvements, so I'm completely with you about um, improvement in uh, all services and what we're finding in general medical practice mm -hmm. is um, varied, uh, a varying quality of leadership and in some areas not understanding what improvement means. So an, a, a lot of support and work on, on improvement but also encouraging uh, services to come together. I'm really excited by the five-year view um, 
there actually is very little new in it, but it is an impetus to do and to change. And the current model of providing GPs in, and dentists actually in large numbers of small providers is not sustainable and we need to change and move quickly. Okay, we'll come on to the five-year forward view in a moment. I just wanted to hear from Masood on the question of the, the political well, environment. Um, I lived all my life in politics, so I just actually think politics, as Jeremy said, is, is here to stay. I care about the job, I care about my kids' education, I care about my health and housing. And I hope that people who I vote for to go to Parliament, they care the same way. So I don't think we can get away from it, and we know that's the case everywhere in the world. We know that uh, we need to go through this through adversarial system that we have here as a politics. The one thing I would say, if we go in what Jennifer is saying, that you need to get the transformation and move to the front line. The front line, they need one thing. They need the stability and they need the clarity of the goals. Whether you're a manager or a doctor or a nurse, you need to have that. It doesn't matter who comes to power. To be frank, it really doesn't matter. The key here is, can they stick to five years and then to see through, through thick and thin? Not go every time something goes wrong, wash their hand off it. And I totally agree, we need to highlight the failures, but through accreditation model. There are models in, you, in the world that you don't just label them as a failure, either finance or, or, or air quality. You help them through that. You go... In many ways, you get them through that. Our challenge here is our frontline doctors are retiring at 50 to 51. I can tell you as a consultant, a number of our colleagues, after golden handcuff of a pension coming off, they retire. They're moving on. You're losing the best leaders that you could have capitalized on. And macropolitics stability is critical for them. And our managers are leaving as well, by the way. So there's two forces are going. So I'm just, my worry is we have a great vision, we have great plans, but we need a very strong stability at that level. Thank you. So we do have this five-year forward view, and the sense, I guess, is that it's being broadly welcomed. How do people feel that this is going to play out over this five years, and do you think there will be sufficient commitment to it to, to see it through? Jonathan. I think the, the five-year forward view is an exciting vision, an exciting high-level plan. I think the challenge is actually going to be the delivery and the implementation in a way that links back to, links back to the debate about politics uh, in the sense that um, if, if the politicians are our connection with the public you know, um, and what they are ducking is actually the, the, the bigger discussion. I mean, I absolutely agree that you'll never take politics out of the health service. I mean, because of the, the finances, if for no other reason. But we are going to have as a country to have a, that big debate about what sort of health service we want, how much of it, how we are going to uh, afford it. And people throw their hands up in horror at the idea of co-payment. But actually, if you go back and look at the original legislation in 1948, the ability to have co-payment was built into uh, the legislation, and the first co-payment was introduced in 1952 with the first prescription charge. You know, so I'm not saying it's the right solution, but actually we could look at more flexible sources of funding, or we could look at saying we can, this is the size of the cake that the current funding arrangement will allow to be provided. So you look at what is provided by the health service. But that is a very 
very difficult political discussion for people in this country. And at the moment, I think it's being ducked. And so you come back to the five-year forward view. Yes, it, it, it's, a great, it's a great vision, but actually, in order to implement it as, as outlined, A, it's a bit short of detail about how it's to be done, um, but also it will require funding. It will require that sort of transformational funding. And it's no good just saying, we'll take out of our existing budgets, which are already uh, stretched, we'll take out a percentage and call that transformational funding, because actually all it's going to do is to precipitate earlier and faster financial failures of those organisations that are currently struggling. Thank you. Yeah, just to add, really, I mean, I think it is a great flexible framework that hopefully encourages um, local providers and commissioners to set local um, their local vision within it. Um, so I welcome it. Um, but I think it is lacking in the detail in terms of what our um, level of ambition is as a nation in terms of public health. Um, and I think we need to get much more specific on how much by when. So th those, that five-year plan um, now needs to turn into some very tangible um, what the outcomes are going to be for patients and citizens. And which element of it would you like which elements of it would you like to see emphasized? Um, I suppose a lot of our conversations clearly been about the, the provision of healthcare, but I'd like to go back to the bit that's around um, uh, well-being and patients' ability to look after themselves and have the right information and the right access and be able to nav navigate through our very complex systems. Um, so I'd like to see a lot more emphasis on the public health end of things and educating the public about their own health. Thank you. Richard? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's lots of exciting uh, stuff in there. And the new models of care, I mean, we, we, doctors are brimming with ideas about how to improve services. Absolutely brimming. They've, they've been steeped in healthcare all their lives and they're full of ideas. But usually their noses are so close to the grindstone, they haven't got a chance to look up and think and, and step back and say, OK, how can I improve this service? So the, the, suddenly the new model of care gives you a chance, I hope, with, with enablers, skillful enablers, to help the, the doctors and nurses co sort of co-create a new system. So I think that's very exciting. But I think we also need to have some confidence that we can do this. So we've got now one of the best heart attack uh, systems in the world. And we didn't used to have that. But we got together and with political will and... Um, some central coordination, we did it. And we did it incredibly quickly as a nation. So we went from being one of the really poor performers to being probably one of the best. And uh, that should get, we should look at these th things and th that give us confidence that we can transform the system quickly if, critically, we get the right people in the room, the right leadership, but we have the enablers. So there's so much negativity about managers, but at the front line... I tell you what, the most important person to get change is a really, a really skilled operational manager who knows how to duck and dive, get the money, get it all lined up for you. So let's, let's use the professionals to do the design and the vision, but we, we need to work as a team um, to produce the solution. We can do it. Very good, thank you. Jeremy? It isn't a plan, is it? I mean, that's part of its skill, really. It's a, it's a vision and a kind of, I think Alan Milburn said, a menu of options. Um, and it, 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 um, it provides hope uh, and direction uh, and enthusiasm. And I think that's its real strength. And it is a flexible framework. Um, but it doesn't, 
it doesn't deal with everything. So it doesn't. It's an NHS document still, rather than a health and well-being document. It, it doesn't really get its arms around um, health inequalities and the wider determinants of health. So it's not perfect, but it, it's it's the it's the you know it's the only show in town at the moment. Um, I, my my worry is um, that it will be um, because it doesn't solve some of the wicked problems around how our NHS is able to make systematic change. Um, that, that its recipes for change will be interpreted in a clumsy and bureaucratic way uh, in the manner that these reform programmes have happened in the past. So it was very interesting listening to the discussion uh, during a big part of yesterday afternoon when I was here. Um, and I think the big theme was quality improvement and a relentless focus on quality. Uh, and I think many people sitting in the room listening to the various presentations thought, yes, this is what it's about. It's about people starting where they are uh, and um, be, being very attentive to uh, how well they're doing, understanding how well they're doing, measuring it, and finding ways to improve, and, and what amazing results you can achieve just doing that. Um, and if the, the five-year forward view enables that kind of spirit of reform and quality improvement, then I, it gives me hope. But if it becomes a new exercise in a sort of uh, top-down reorganisation by stealth, but this time through the, through the means of different models of care that everybody feels do, uh, um, uh, required to slot themselves into, then a lot of the energy and enthusiasm uh, and goodwill may be dissipated. Um, so um, new models of care, uh, to me, uh, is a slightly double-edged thing because it could become a new reorganisation, whereas what we really want is a relentless focus on improved quality um, and engagement of patients, communities and staff as part of that quality improvement drive. Some of the things you were talking about yesterday, uh, Susie, um, I think that, that for me feels much more close to the spirit of the Five Year Forward View uh, and how we keep it um, aligned to that spirit. I think it's going to be a challenge. Thank you, Nigel. Yeah, so we heard yesterday, I think, um, a slight concern that there wasn't a, a very well-articulated theory of change underpinning this, which kind of echoes what Jeremy has just uh, said there. And the second, I think the second thing that is, even, even if we can identify uh, what the, sort of the change model is, um, the elapsed time required to do some of this is quite long. Um, looking at the US experience with ACOs, it was quite striking, you know, after some years of planning and then doing, um, you know, they're in the early foothills. Certainly my experience of working with uh, people around the country who've been doing, who've been trying to build integrated, various uh, types of integrated care model is trying to do this in your spare time, uh, along with all the other managerial tasks you've got, doesn't work too well, um, unsurprisingly. Uh, that getting chief executive engagement with these, uh, apparently these projects are the most important thing this local health system is doing, but not necessarily important enough for the chief executive and finance director to be present uh, sufficiently to uh, 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 to drive it. And just the logistics of, because a lot of this does actually come down to frontline clinicians, mindsets and relationships changing. And that just takes time. People have got to learn how, you know, so the, for example, the different conceptions of, of, of risk between primary care, social care, uh, and, and uh, secondary care consultants, people working that through can't be done, uh, can't, it's not very easy to accelerate it. Um, it, it can't be done quickly. So, and just the logistics of getting all of those people in a room, very time consuming. And if we're then asking them to do their day jobs on top of that, I think there's a sort of unanswered question about where the, where the space is, uh, to, 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 do, to do that is. Um, 
we did hear a bit from Simon Stevens yesterday that uh, he perhaps sees some of those new care models as a, as a longer-term project, which is right. That then raises a very interesting question, which is, can we actually get the level of efficiency savings that are postulated in, in the five-year plan to improve? As he, I mean, he interestingly really emphasised learning disabilities, mental health, um, and one other, which dementia. Dementia. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> dementia. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, where's? Uh, I think that, that, that it wasn't exactly clear to me uh, where the source of that, um, and, and very much the same thing applies there. Is it's stripping out that waste, <coughs> doing the redesign of the pathways that can remove what we do know is baked in and embedded waste. That is very time-consuming, and once a bit, once a bit to do that over multiple pathways again we heard from Brent James you can you certainly get very good results but it's pathway it's street fighting pathway by pathway it's not a sort of big bang intervention yes. that will suddenly shake out large amounts of money and that's what makes a difference to patients it's the pathway mm. and so let's sort our pathways let's pick the top 10 and go for it because if we you know lean thinking teaches us that we need to we need to focus on our main values <laughs> Uh, streams. We can't do everything, but if we focus on what affects the majority of the population, we'll have a big effect quickly. Um, and I've seen that in my own world, and I'm, I'm sure that others could think of examples. Uh, interesting, going back to primary care, because that's, that's the thing we really need to invest in to keep people away from hospitals, where we spend lots of money and investigate them. We're all convinced that patients who come to hospital must be sick. There's a mindset, whereas if you go in to see Steve in his surgery, he, he probably thinks you're probably well. And um, that's a really important medical mindset difference. Um, just because people appear in an ambulance at the ED doesn't make them sick, um, and yet we somehow easily medicalise these people. So we've got to invest in, uh, in primary care, first of all, to, to do, do everything possible to, to shield the well-meaning doctors in the emergency department from um, admitting patients. Rebecca, on that point, and, and your thoughts on the five-year forward view for <coughs> primary care. Uh, so there are certainly some really interesting opportunities there. So I think the speed with which GPs are scaling up has astonished everybody. So the formation of these clusters, federations, super practices, etc., I think is the rate of formation is astonishing. Now we've got to get them working, which is not easy at all. But once you're working with a larger group, I think you really have the opportunity to link up with other community services, to create, to be the community-based end of more integrated care. So I think the opportunity is there, but it gets back to what we keep saying, what's come up all day. You need the transition time, you need the leadership, you need the resources to recast professional identity, to recast people's working day. And you were talking about there's nothing like a good operational leader to operational manager to duck and dive and get that work going. Our operational managers are spending three or four hours each day on a platinum command telephone call to some higher authority delivering a crunch pre-election target. So I think there is another, another political question, which is post-election. If we heard that you're only going to be fired for not fessing up to something, um, what will happen if in the course of transition you do miss a couple of targets and you decide that actually in your strategic vision 
it may be better to deliver something at 80% rather than 85 because that's what's going to get you the, the longer strategic success. And that, I, again, I get back to we need a, a revised public debate because at the moment everybody's baying at everybody else when we miss something. So I think we need to think about it. I think you're going to find that uh, statement this is the only thing you can be fired for, gets modified. <laughs> uh, we've heard the recent news about the Manchester plan of um, local authorities working with CCGs on joint commissioning and a sort of what seems to be almost like a regional care authority emerging for, for health and social care. What, what do people think this means for clinically led commissioning? Are we going to see a move away from clinically led commissioning to, to a different model? Jeremy. I mean, from a kind of patient and lay point of view, who cares? And the whole debate about commissioning and even defining what it is seems to be a, a kind of typical uh, technocratic obsession. Um, the um, different, we've experimented with different ways of trying to plan and organise care. And I think Nigel is a great kind of uh, historian and critic of. Uh, um, um, 20 or more years of failures uh, to really get commissioning going. So um, uh, if, if, this, if, if the various things that are going on like Manchester and the five-year forward view are a kind of dismantling of previous notions of commissioning by stealth, that's fine. But the issue is, are they going to lead to better quality care? Uh, and it seems to me that um, the thing that was obviously missing in the Lansley vision uh, was a regional tier um, and um, so what's happening in Manchester seems to be the recreation of something that was obviously missing, which is the ability of um, populations uh, of a smaller level than 52 million to organise things, uh, but not at the level of a few hundred thousand. So you either have a national uh, system for too many people or, or a fragmentation uh, around very, very small populations, nothing in the middle. That always felt really weird. Now we've got something in Manchester that might be a more sensible size. So my sense is this is kind of pragmatism taking over and wh whether or not this is um, uh, with a GP commissioning, kind of who cares as long as it works. Steve. I've got great sympathy for what Jeremy's saying. Um, and uh, I think it really is ambitious letting Manchester go ahead particularly just before an election and, uh, and afterwards. But there are lots of GPs who have been more engaged since commissioning came in. And uh, it would be very sad if any changes that came in after the election moved GPs just to be in a sort of advisory role. We've had that before. And what you'll find is that the GPs will go back to provision and won't be actively engaged in design. So what I hope in Manchester, having read the documents, is that we get much more buy-in from the secondary care providers working with the GPs trying to design the service. But when it comes down to it, it's, it's what the local population need. And I think, uh, again, going back to a point made earlier, whatever we do, we've got to make sure the most vulnerable in society are right at the top of the agenda, because we know from history that the people who get squeezed are those with learning disability, people with mental health conditions, and particularly the homeless and those on the edge of society. What we've uh, been finding in some of our CQC inspections is that uh, some of the new social enterprises that have been created um, in the last five, six years are providing fantastic joined-up primary social care, substance misuse care. 
and whatever we do, we've got to make sure they can continue to grow and flourish. Yeah. Nigel, last comments on the, on the on your views on the Manchester plan and what that means for perhaps you talk about um, integrated care. Is this, is this a, a, the brave future? We well, I think change? integrating at the top, um, we've learned, doesn't necessarily create any better integration in the middle or at the front line. So it's it's, it's a start, but it's and it, uh, but it's uh, by no means uh, a sufficient condition to, uh, uh, to to break down some of those uh, some of those barriers it looks it looks very interesting and very promising we've sort of gotten a, a natural experiment in wales i think i mean i think actually in many ways that the welsh experience you know the, the, uh, although that of course obviously is a nation um, and and that does change the the, the calculus slightly i think it's uh, it's it's a bold experiment. Uh, let's. I'm, I'm watching it with interest. I think it'd be difficult to predict how it goes. The real question is when difficult decisions start to be made, and they say, okay, we're going to downgrade one, you know, Tame Side or uh, Oldham or whichever of the various Manchester hospitals need to change. How well that holds together? Uh, which you know, because everyone agrees that hospitals in Manchester need to change, but they probably also agree it should be someone else who does it first, which is the general pattern uh, that right. you tend to see. And, and we, we see these things; they're not really glued together. Uh, starting to unravel uh, uh, quite quickly in, in, in other in other settings. So I think there's a, uh, an open question about whether they can hold that all together. If they they can, I think it uh, it looks it looks very it looks very promising. But it, it will I think leave some very difficult questions about accountability. And at what point does an elected mayor? Uh, can an elected mayor stand up uh, to the Secretaries of State and say, well, should we have a different, in a way that Welsh Assembly Government basically been saying to the rest of the, the UK, we, we have different priorities to you, and, and that's fine, we've got a mandate for that. Um, uh, and, and how far that, uh, where, where that goes, I think will be very interesting to watch. I remember at our first breakfast session, Simon Stevens, before he was in his current role, said that the two things that survive a nuclear explosion are cockroaches and regional health authorities. So, <laughs> I think we can... Ex- oh, that from me. Oh, he got that from me. My friends who worked in regional health authorities weren't entirely enamoured with that. So. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you very much, everyone, for your thoughts. And to uh, readers and listeners to this podcast, please feel free to send us your thoughts via our responses. Thank you very much. Thank you.